This episode is produced in part by Keep It 100 Productions, a podcast and video production company that specializes in sharing stories of everyday people. Whether you're looking to start your show or need assistance with the upkeep and editing, Keep It 100 Productions will provide a solution that is custom built for your needs. To learn more, visit keepit100prod.com. That's keepit100, the numbers 100prod.com. Welcome to What's On Your Mind with me, Jannie Rath. Welcome to another episode of 901 On The Mind. Today features Mark Fleischer, who is the founder and executive director of Storyboard Memphis. They're a nonprofit multimedia platform that supports Memphis and its Mid-South arts, culture, and community through the power of storytelling. I truly enjoyed talking to Mark. We talk about Memphis. We talk about the difference between storytelling, story collecting, and so much more. And we just dive into his latest coverage of Ernest Withers. And if you were actually in Memphis and you participated in the Indie Film Festival, you might have seen The Picture Taker. So there is a version of Ernest's story and especially that famous pointing courtroom photo. And I definitely encourage you to read um, the, the story in Storyboard Memphis. It is, it is absolutely amazing. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind? Well, Jenny, thanks for having me. Um, what's on my mind is a beautiful day in Memphis and downtown, and we get to sit here in the arcade, we do. which is tons of fun. It is fun, and it's, it's fun because I know this place has a lot of history, and you, in your role, document a lot of history, so there's definitely a lot of overlap in that area. Oh, yeah. Spent a lot of time down here, and, and spent a lot of time over across the street at Ernestine and Hazel's, and oh, wow. right over here at, uh, at wow. uh, Mark's Place at um, South Main Sounds, yeah. and over here at Walking Pants Curiosities, and, and of course, right here at the Ar- Arcade. Too. Yeah. Are you a South Main member or a South Main enthusiast? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a, officially a Midtowner. Okay. Um, but definitely a South Main enthusiast and yeah. spend, you know, a great deal of time down here. And of course, you know, this is this is old school Memphis. And I just I love coming down here and I love love it when I get to spend some time down here and any excuse to come come to, to South Main is, is is a good excuse. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then we just heard the trolley, which is one of my favorite sounds of South Main. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I would love. I mean, I'm looking over down here. You brought uh, one of the one of the article journals, magazines, I guess that that you have, and so it's called Storyboard Memphis. So what's what's your story? Well, uh, Storyboard started as a little blog, actually, um, back in 2016, 2017, and it kind of developed from there. Um, We started getting submissions from various folks. Um, The focus was on my experience as being a a new Memphian, Um, but it evolved into some history and some storytelling. And especially with the historical aspects, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of readers really got into it and started submitting content, oh, wow. you know, basically for free. And eventually it turned into this concept, to uh, this idea of having um, a venue or a forum for people to submit their stories, their historical stories, and, and maybe stories that just meant something to them on a personal level, mm-hmm. um, which is where the idea of a storyboard came about because a storyboard requires, you know, multiple collaborators. 
And so, um, so we incorporated in 2017 and went through some bumps and bruises trying to get it out as a publication, which, and especially as a print publication was, you know, was a challenge. And then, um, and then transitioned to a nonprofit during the pandemic, (laughs) which was, yeah. So in a nutshell, that's, that's how it evolved. Uh, it's, it's been quite a, a quite, quite a journey. And now it's focused on the arts, history, community, culture. Yeah. I really love that. I feel like you are a print version of my auditory goal journey that I'm also on. We're both story collectors and valuing the perspectives, the culture, the art, a lot of the things that are coming out of Memphis that a lot of people sometimes they know about, but sometimes it gets hidden underneath all the other noise that, that we see on the surface. So, yeah. And, and Memphis has so many stories, you know, um, no matter how many you think you might've heard, there's always another one that you've never heard, you know, and, um, from an historical perspective, you know, there's just tons of stories that are still, secret histories and things that today's Memphians and today's audiences have still have never seen. So there's just simply no shortage of stories, you know, as, as you will know. Yeah, absolutely. What has been your favorite story to date or one that's on the top of your mind? You know, um, one of the ones is right in front of us, but I want to, I want to get into that later, but another one that I'm really proud of that we're actually going to revisit a bit is a story about um, the Orpheum Theater's revival in the late 1970s. And this is another one of those stories that you really don't hear about too often, about how the Orpheum was really just about slated for demolition at a time when downtown was a ghost town and when the Orpheum was literally surrounded by vacant lots. And um, it's a terrific story because it's, it's such a Memphis story um, where a, a small group of folks got together, wanted to save the Orpheum, got an investor involved, became a nonprofit, and just really by, you know, uh, the old saying in theaters, two boards and a passion, mm-hmm. um, they did anything they could to bring people downtown and to get people back into the Orpheum. and. And as they raised more and more money, they were able to slowly do some restoration work. But it was really just this grassroots effort from like 1976 to 1980 um, that is a little lost piece of history. And we did an extensive feature story on it a few years ago. And there was so much content we got out of that research that for me, it's time to go back and revisit it mm. and pull back some, pull in some of the, the stories that we didn't get to tell because of the, because of the constraints of a, of a print right. publication, you know, yeah. but, um, but yeah, that's one of the stories I'm really, I'm, I'm very proud of. Um, I didn't know that one. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, 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 and it's I've been, one. I mean, I've, I've lived in Memphis for four years, but uh, I consider myself a new Memphian, but I'm a longtime fan of the Orpheum. I don't know, theater person. I'm also like a community driven activist person. So like that, that is the type of story that you, that I wish these were the stories on the surface of Memphis, but you got to go dig for them. So I'm so glad that you have done that and that you've uncovered such an interesting story like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a little bit like, um, it's a little bit like Crosstown, you know, Cron- yeah. Crosstown Concourse where, 
when the folks involved with restoring Crosstown basically were told, good luck with this project because it's never going to happen um, with such a massive structure. And, you know, the, the folks involved in restoring the Orpheum had some of the same issues mm-hmm. with who is going to go downtown in the 1970s right. when the movement, you know, especially with white flight and whatnot, right. the movement was to East Memphis, you know, all the development was going East. And yeah, so it's, it's it, it, like, like we said, it's a great little Memphis story because of the fact that it's grassroots mm-hmm. and it's really much of what Memphis I think is about, which is, you know, individuals taking, taking charge and saying, I think I can do something. I can make a difference and just yeah. going out and doing it. Yeah. yeah. And in, and like I mentioned, I've, I've only been here for four years, but that is something on day one of moving here. I feel like I was indoctrinated into that mantra of Memphis. And it is something that I feel like I'm living and I'm seeing every single day here. So yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. That is a true story of Memphians, what we can accomplish. And yeah, and I mean, what you're saying, sadly, a lot of those themes we still kind of see now too, you know, we still see a lot of areas of blight. We see a lot of, a lot of places that um, have, have fallen under the radar um, in the past. And you can see those same patterns that we've seen a lot of other, the big cities, the white flight and the development moving out of downtown. I know there's so many projects now and there's such a big push for bringing people back to downtown. And we live in, or I'm here, we're in the historic district and there is so much history associated with this place. And yeah, we can't lose it. I'm so glad that you're, you're capturing that history. Now you're here four years. So you're really, you're, you're kind of, what I would describe still in the honeymoon phase of being in Memphis, <laughs> which is a fun, a fun place to be yeah. because there's still, there's still so much to learn, yeah. you know, and it really never stops. You know, the, the more, the more you learn about Memphis, the, uh, the more you learn, you know what you don't know. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so you're, you're, in a, you're in a good spot. Yeah. And I'm definitely, I'm a learner. I'm a lifelong learner. And I have, um, one of my backgrounds is urban planning. So my favorite thing to do when I move to a city is I always look at old redlining maps because that tells you a lot about the history. It tells you a lot about the people. It tells you why they're, why you're looking around and you see the things that you do. I mean, there's history and policy and stories tied to that. So, um, that's something that I, I, I come into moving into new communities with a very unique lens where it's like, I want to just pour myself into the history and the old policies that have built a place because yeah. you know you build a place and the and everything else kind of follows so it's interesting to to see those storylines through and then modern day memphis to kind of see how reflective or sometimes even like the pushback against a lot of that stuff that's happened in the past it's interesting it's interesting to see how neighborhoods have developed over time yeah you know urban planning when you talk about ur- you know I'm, a, I'm an urban planning I guess, enthusiast, oh, I'd nice. say. So a bit of an urbanist. And that's another thing that attracts me to downtown and South Maine is that really what you have here is a perfect example of urban planning, which is streets designed for a healthy mix of pedestrians and now bicycles and automobiles and streetcars. Yeah. You know, it's a healthy mix that really lends itself to higher density, more vibrancy, you know, a lot of mixed use spaces, a lot of mixed use, you know, things happening 24 seven, you know, and yeah, you're right with, uh, with regard to, um, I'll call them postmodern, like, you know, as soon as the automobile came, came about and, and became that, and and the highway system was developed, 
that way of thinking, as you, you know, if you're into urban planning, you know that, you know, that way of thinking uh, went by the wayside and was all about planning for the automobile right. versus for a higher density and for, right. for pedestrians and, and whatnot. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's bad. I always love finding somebody who is another urban planning enthusiast. <laughs> well, that was a, that's, that was a big part of um, that was a big part of the, of the motivation too behind Storyboard <laughs> was not only the community type of the community oriented type stories and the historical stories, but also the urbanism, mm. uh, especially being in Midtown, spending a lot of time downtown. Yeah. You know, you see how things work and don't work with regard to urban planning. Being an enthusiast like I've been, I wanted that to be another big component of Storyboard is to talk about what is good urban planning versus what doesn't work, what has not worked historically, you know. Like a very tangible example is, you know, mass or, you know, uh, acres of parking lots fronting a street, you know, that just... Today, we know that just doesn't work, you know, it works for the convenience of the, the driver and the person, the automobile, of course, but in terms of good, uh, good urban planning practices, it, it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Wow. All right. It's time for a quick break. And let's get back to it. Your interests are so interesting. <laughs> I, I love this. And, and I want to go back to you mentioned that this was actually a blog before it was a print medium. Mm -hmm. So what got you motivated to just start that blog? Do you come from the history space, journalism space? What was that initial inclination to start this blog? I, I come from a writerly background. I'll say, I say writerly because I went to school, went to film school and theater Okay, cool. And then I ended up doing the corporate gig for most of my career. And then um, my wife is a Memphian, but I grew up in California. We moved here in 2015. As life happens, I moved here right after getting laid off from a, a job that I had been in for 25 years. Big company, big layoffs, yeah. and um, came here really with an open slate and really had to do a ton of networking. And as I was learning, talking to people, learning about the city, my wife is the one who suggested, why don't you start a blog? Mm -hmm. She said, you're a writer, start a blog. And I kind of jumped, you know, headfirst into it. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, really, that was the that was the, the motivation behind it was just 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 do it. Yeah. Which is, a, again, another great Memphis story. You know, just just do it. Just yeah. jump in and start it. Um, that Memphis grit and grind. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 So it started there and uh, I had never done a blog and, you know, had uh, never uh, ventured into WordPress and yeah. all that fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> basically, uh, basically just taught myself how to, how to put together a blog and mm. it, you know, it grew from there. Yeah. Another very Memphis spirited thing is just the number of entrepreneurs and self-starters I've met. Um, I, I, I am one of the many who, you know, have a day job, but also have something entrepreneurial because you just, ha you have not only that push of the just do it, but Memphis loves supporting people in their just do it. Memphis wants to get on the train. Um, and the community is very much just wraps around people who have an idea and yeah. want to do something. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I've always found too that Memphians who've been here for, you know, lifelong Memphians, even Memphians that have been here for 10, 15 years or so, 
they're very interested in, in new ideas. Yeah. You know, they might not always take them to the end zone, so to speak, but um, but you, but they're always interested in hearing new ideas. Another thing that I love on that level about Memphis is uh, it's very accessible. You know, it's you know once you really get to know a number of people, it's fairly easy to have a conversation with you know leadership in the city, city council members, you know, and whatnot. Uh, Memphis is very accessible and you, you usually can find some, you know, usually someone will take the time to listen to you yeah, yeah. Um, and listen to your, you know, your new ideas. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's absolutely true. You know, I've even on, um, on Instagram, I have DM'd local, you know, people like local politicians and I've received answers back. Uh, that's something that, you know, I don't know that I could have gotten that in DC. <laughs> I couldn't have gotten that in, in Chapel Hill or Raleigh or Knoxville, but I, I get that here in Memphis. Yeah. It's, it's a small town in that, in that sense. Yeah. That's, that's another thing I've, I've always loved about it. It's, it's, it's really a small town with, you know, um, with big ideas. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. Okay. Well, speaking of big idea, you, you kind of gave a teaser of this, but you said that there was a story in this edition that you are excited to talk about. I would love to, I'd love to get a preview yeah. so that we can inspire people to go yeah. pick up a copy of this. So thank you for, <laughs> yeah, thank you for reminding me to, to talk about this. This was amazing. So, um, in a nutshell, uh, you know, storyboard part of, part of how storyboard works is we accept submissions from writers of, of all, you know, all ages really, and, mm -hmm. and all, um, really all experience levels. And we do have to be of course selective in the stories that we do publish. This one in particular came to us uh, early this year from uh, a gentleman uh, at Rhodes College. He wrote this story about a completely different perspective how, of how Ernest Withers captured the one and only photo taken during the Emmett Till trial in 1955. And it's a famous photo of Emmett Till's great uncle, Mose Wright, standing up and pointing and identifying the murderers, you know, identifying the Bryants. And it, the, what's remarkable, remarkable about the photo and so many other aspects around the photo is one, Mr. Worthers, of course, was African-American down in Sumner, Mississippi in 1955, which was a highly segregated mm. ton of racism. And of course, the, you know, where Emmett Till was murdered, brutally murdered. And so during the trial, the sheriff and the judge were very explicit about photography. No photographs allowed at all during trial proceedings. Plenty of photographs taken after, photographs taken during breaks, photographs taken before trial proceedings, but none at all during the proceedings itself. And so there's kind of a mystery around how did Ernest Withers get this photo during the trial when it was so explicitly laid out that you were not allowed to take photos? It's not like we got sneaky iPhones back then either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that would have been an elaborate setup. Oh, yeah. I mean, the cameras in, in the 1950s, wow. you know, you could not hide them. David Mason, who wrote the article when he uh, sent it to us, we, we, we took a look at it and we, we really just said, oh, my, I, I, I've never thought about this, never mm. thought about how this photo could have been taken. The old narrative, and I, I'll, I'll say old now because now I think we've got the definitive narrative okay. of how he got the photo, but the old narrative was that he stood up and took the photo. And as you look at the photo, you realize there's no way that Mr. Withers could have stood up. He had to hide his camera to get this photo. And to hide the camera, 
to get the photo at the very moment that Moe's right stands up and points, he had to have planned it. You know, he had to have known that, okay, this is when Uncle Moe's right is going to be up there on the stand. Mm. He had to have, you know, he had to have strategized and, and planned this photo. So it's really a remarkable feature story. And it came to us this year at a time when there is renewed interest about the Emmett Till trial. Um, you know, the Emmett Till Foundation, the ladies involved with that located the warrant for Miss Bryant's arrest yeah, from 1955, which was found in the basement of another courthouse down in, in the region. We have the Emmett Till story. It's a, it's a, a, a feature film that's coming out this fall. Rosalind Withers at the Withers Collection. She's in the middle of, a de- of efforts to uh, raise money for the Withers Collection. There's still almost 2 million photographs that Mr. Withers took over the years that have not been curated. I, I always think of, um, and this is a typical another Memphis story, Memphis has this spiritual energy about it. And when people come together for a cause, I feel like the universe conspires with you or with the effort. This kind of thing has happened too. I I got a hold of Rosalind Withers, told her about this and she, she had never heard this take of, Mm. you know, this photo. And so we sat down and we went down to the Withers museum, sat down and talked to her. It was really something to see her kind of blown away with, wow, I'd never thought about this. And this is her dad, you know? So, um, Anyway, it's it's quite something. I'm very proud of this story, very proud of this feature and this issue of the magazine. And the cover is the camera that Withers took uh, the photo with, an original sketch mm. from this group in Los Angeles that is working with the Withers Collection um, to create art, original artwork from the Withers photographs. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they... Um, they they basically did the cover for us uh, for this issue. It's um, it's really something. Very proud of it. Yeah. And uh, obviously, this is a uh, an, an auditory story that you all are listening to. But we'll put photos um, of this, and of course, you can obviously pick up a, a copy of Storyboard Memphis. Where where can people pick up a, co- a print copy? All the local bookstores. So we're in all the local bookstores. We're also over at the Cooper Young Gallery and Gifts, uh, Art uh, Art Center um, on Union. You can pick up copies at the library. You can, I should say, borrow them at the library, although I'm <laughs> sure people just take them, which is just fine. Mm. But yeah, at the bookstores and whatnot, they're for sale. And of course, we um, you can subscribe to Storyboard uh, online also at storyboardmemphis.org. Very yeah. cool. Thank you so much for sharing this. I'm, I always love meeting another person that I like to call us story collectors, but we do more than collect them. But you know what I mean? It's almost like a space for us to, the stories kind of come to us and then we find a different unique way to put them out there into the world. And sometimes they are stories that are hidden or they're lost for a really long time. And then it takes somebody to uncover it and relight the fire underneath it again. So we're, we're story curators and mediums. Yes. That's a much better term than collector. Yeah. Cause collector to me, I'm always, I always say that I'm like, well, I don't want to just sound like I'm just sitting on them and not doing anything with them. Right, right. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's almost like we're, we're explorers. We find them and then we're, we're bringing some, some new light to them, which is yeah. exciting. Yeah. So thank you so much for, for 
sharing this and doing this in Memphis. It's so cool. And thank you also for sharing some of those cool historical uh, stories. I'm going to tell everybody this about the Orpheum. One of my favorite things doing the Orpheum is to go and look at those old photos. And now it's interesting to kind of put your story along with those cool photos, old historic photos that I see in there. I was lucky enough to um, talk to the gentleman who has the collection, a private collection of all that stuff during the late 70s. Wow. Um, Brochures, pamphlets, programs, photos. Yeah, it's 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 really something. So, but Jenny, thank you so much yeah. for having me on today. Absolutely, it's been, it's been fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode, please rate, review, subscribe, follow, all of the things. Thank you to all the supporters and sponsors of What's on Your Mind. Check out JennyRod.com for my latest updates. Well, friends, until next week.